Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode, we're talking about your 8 and 30 Detroit Pistons. Jack Kelly makes his Detroit Bad Boys podcast debut, and we talk about the Pistons' 2 and 2 week, Hamadou Diallo's effectiveness as a cutter, and why Jack is now a Trey Lyle stand. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and today, sadly, I am not joined by Ben Gulker, who is under the weather this week and remains in our thoughts and prayers, but stepping in to take his place from Detroit Bad Boys, newly of Detroit Bad Boys, Jack Kelly, joining us all the way from Melbourne. What's up, Jack? Hey, Laz. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm good, thanks, man. Um, really excited to be here. Um, yeah, recently joined DBB past few months, and um, yeah, to be honest, I'm pinching myself. I'm on the podcast because I've been an avid listener for the past three to four years. So yeah, really pumped to be on. Thanks for having me. No, no problem. Um, I'm happy you can be on. I'm happy the the time difference made it conducive to uh, to you being on. Yeah. Yeah, it's 9am at the moment, so good morning to any Australian listeners. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get to be a Pistons fan in Melbourne? That's a great question, Laz. So, oh, I'm 26 now, so I remember I started following the NBA when I was probably 10 or so, but um, I didn't really have a team. And then for some reason around 2011, I remember I was looking at some mock drafts <laughs> and I just saw Andre Drummond pop up. And I was like, for some reason, I just love this guy. So I was like, I followed him at UConn and then he got drafted to the Pistons in 2012. And yeah, from then I just got league pass and yeah, I was just a massive Andre fan. And then, yeah, that translated into being a Pistons fan. I don't really know any Pistons fans around me. So um, yeah, (laughs) that's really it, to be honest. No, that that's that's good enough, right? Like it it is always interesting to see like who gloms on to like the different players that people like attach themselves to or like that they that they identify with. For um, sure. And yeah. I think it's funny like I would everyone's always liked me in Melbourne and anyone I sort of talk to is an Australian fan like why the Pistons but more so why Andre and I'm just like cuz everyone <laughs> here's somewhat of like a casual fan or you know LeBron Hard mm-hmm. and any of those types of players and I'm yeah I'm an Andre Drummond fan so <laughs> yeah yeah well I mean like speaking of dudes who are uh surprising for fans to be excited about Pistons traded for Bull Bull uh the trade is Rodney McGruder and the 2022 second round pick they got from Brooklyn in the Seku Nunguya trade um I don't have a whole lot of thoughts about Bull Bull Jack what what are your opinions about 
uh, him and his game? Um, my initial thoughts were, you know, whenever I see a trade pop up on Twitter from Woj or Shams, I'm like, and you see Detroit, you get excited. And I saw Bobo. And I think, I mean, we really just haven't seen a whole lot. Um, I remember watching a little bit of him. I think he played for was it Oregon. Um, and obviously, he can sort of shoot the three. He shot it at 38% and small volume, but, you know, he's got the long, the large wingspan. He's over seven foot. I guess there's some talent there to be unlocked, but he just hasn't done a whole lot. So, um, and I think it sort of speaks a little bit of volume, not to be a dampener that he didn't really crack the rotation ever with Mike Malone and uh, the Nuggets, because we've seen them develop players from nowhere really in the second round. So, I'm, I'm excited um, also, but tempering my expectations, I would say. No, I, th- I think that's in a good place to be. Uh, you know, I you know, did the same thing you did. I went to basketball references, shooting 38% from three on low volume. It's like, that's kind of interesting. Um, but the thing, I, I, when I reached out to some, some Denver Nuggets people, I got opinions like ranging from he's not an NBA player to uh, a nicer version of he's not an NBA player, which is they'll need to be really creative to get stuff out of him. So it's like, oh, okay. Um, but everybody I talked to also noted that like he's not – like he is seven foot two, I think, and he has like a seven foot eight wingspan. But he thinks of himself very much as a perimeter player, right? Like he does not screen. He does not really rebound. And he doesn't really do like any of like the other big man stuff you would hope or expect a seven two player to do. And so for me at least – that I, I wonder if he's going to like immediately hit Dwayne Casey's doghouse because he's not going to play defense. And it's like that is usually the way to Dwayne Casey's heart. Right. And so we'll, we'll see. I'm also trying to temper expectations, my own expectations about like what bowl bowl is or isn't going to contribute to this team. Yeah. And I mean, when you, you've only given up Magruder and a second round pick this year, which I think was coming from Brooklyn, you mentioned. So look, it's one of those low, risk high reward trades um obviously with that wingspan some room protect room protection would be nice um so i guess yeah we just see what happens um like you said i think he'll get some minutes definitely initially to prove himself um but if he has those defensive lapses and that sort of thing i could easily see him going to the doghouse of uh Dwayne casey which um the fan base probably won't be too happy with but um <laughs> <laughs> um, Pistons Twitter uh, we'll see how that goes but yeah I think there's definitely a lot of talent there and why not take a, a shot at him no that's fair you're right about the the low low cost like we know Rodney Magruder was not like he was a contributor but he wasn't really contributing to much for this team and so the the potential for more I guess is is definitely like on the table uh, in a way that you know, it, it wouldn't be if you just hold on to Magruder. Sure. But but speaking of the doghouse, though, it's like the Pistons were in the doghouse half this week and in the penthouse the other half of this week. They went two and two this week, uh, two close wins sandwiched by two blowout losses, which is going to be really bad for the net rating. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to start you off with a pretty basic question, Jack. Was this a good week for the Pistons? Oh, man. Uh, so... I'm currently, I'm actually in isolation, but I'm on holidays as well. So with the time difference, I don't really get to watch live games, especially consecutively. So normally I get the weekend games here that I can watch live. But So I got to watch all four games live this week, and it was just up and down week. Um, I think I think alone I'm going to say it's a good week because we beat the Bucks. 
Like, I'm happy with that. We beat the Bucks with their three stars. Um, Cade played well. Sadiq showed out. You know, I'm happy with that. So I'm going to say it's a, a good week alone just based off the Bucks win. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because I felt like the sense, the sense I got from Twitter and from the board was that uh, people were, like, really disappointed after this week. And it's fu- it's funny to me because the Pistons won like five games in all of 2021 and in 2022, they've already won three games and people are mad about that question. Yeah. I don't, yeah it, it, it seems a little weird, but it was like, this is probably like the, the best week from a winning perspective of the season. I know they hadn't won back-to-back games this season prior to the, um, the Sunday, Monday games or the Sunday, Tuesday game. They won uh, uh, earlier this week. It's like yeah, the, but the big week was obviously highlighted by the the win over the Bucks, like you mentioned. The big Kate Cunningham shot over Giannis, I think, is going to be um, like that's that one of the first. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the first entries into like Cade Cunningham lore. Um, Sadiq Bay had an amazing game, like you pointed out. Uh, the ball movement was uh, was really exceptional. Um, but then you then you get to those blowouts against Charlotte and and Memphis. Uh, what do you, what did you what did you think the culprit was for those two like those two individual uh, blowouts? Um, well, I think you mentioned in the Bucks game we had really good ball movement, and I felt. Mm-hmm. And one thing I've noticed a little bit more, and um, just there was a lack of ball movement in both games, and I sort of felt like our ball handlers, as in Cade and Killian, but they were just going through the motions a little bit. Um, Cade in particular in that Memphis game barely attacked the rim at all. He was just settling for jumpers and he did get hot there a little bit in the second quarter. But I just felt there's, and I think that's a theme on the season, and um, just when the shots aren't falling, which is a lot of the time, yeah. and the ball's not moving, just the the lack of, yeah, the lack of ball movement and um, movement at times, I can just feel, yeah, it gets a bit stagnant and, um yeah, as I said, when the shots aren't falling and, you're, and Sadiq's not shooting 8 of 12 or whatever, it can really just, the offense can really grind to a halt. And then on defense, um, the energy just feels a bit lower. So, And obviously um, with Charlotte, um, the Hornets, they're one of the best offensive teams. And then on a back-to-back, you face the Grizzlies, who are probably the hottest team in the league at the moment, aside from the Bulls. So, um yeah, there's a whole lot of factors, but I think it's just simple things like ball movement and defense, really, for me. No, yeah, I mean, I think, and like Dwayne Casey called out the defense after the Charlotte loss in particular, and they were doing like different things uh, schematically, right? They were switching basically everybody on the perimeter, and they don't normally do that. Um, but the the switches were very soft, right? They weren't. They were letting the Hornets shoot really easy perimeter shots, which is part of the reason why the Hornets shot 57% from three. And like, again, they were still, uh, they were losing that game, but that game was not a complete blowout until like Kelly Oubre came in in the fourth quarter and hit eight threes or whatever he hit um, and made that game look a lot worse than uh, maybe it otherwise would have been. But yeah, the, the defensive struggles have been interesting to me. Um, I thought the return of Isaiah Stewart against Memphis would help some of that. Um, 
you know, in Memphis, Memphis is a really uh, Memphis scores a lot of points in the paint. I thought Stewart would help against that. That did not happen. They scored like seventy of their one hundred and twenty yeah. points in the paint. Um, and so I, I, it was interesting to me, but like it's definitely looked like Stewart was still like kind of getting his legs underneath him. And I wondered if uh, with a lot of those guys coming out of like COVID protocols, uh, even with the couple days off for conditioning they took, uh, I wondered if you thought um, that had anything to do with the performances that we saw from them uh, across the week. Well, yeah, I did think about that, Laz, because I was thinking it's almost like, so the Bucks game, the players, they had the energy and it was there. And it's almost like when you, you first, <laughs> so you first go back to the gym or you first do some exercise, you have that initial adrenaline rush that, um, you know, that first time back, you, you're almost, you're ready to go. You got that adrenaline rush. And then sometimes after you're like, mm, that wasn't too bad. But it's then when you got to back it up, you sometimes start to feel the, I guess, you know, the tiredness and that a little bit more. So maybe that's what we saw in games two and three. And especially when you're going in on the second night of a back-to-back against a team that's as physical and as big as the Grizzlies. I mean, yeah, I can see how um, the COVID and the, um, I guess, lack of energy could have come into play there in that back-to-back game. Yeah, mate, yeah. The the back-to-backs are rough. Memphis is a very physical team. Those are all great points. But, I don't know, it does feel like the the Pistons have also like let go of the rope a lot more than they did last year. Like, you know, last year uh, everybody talked about this, you know, super competitive tank. Um, the Pistons were, you know, uh, higher in net rating than you would expect for a team with their win loss record. Um, and now, and, you know, losing games, a lot of, a lot of close games, a lot of games in the lost in the fourth quarter, and kind of what the Pacers are doing this year. Um, and this year, obviously that, that hasn't really been the case. They've been blown out a lot more. Um, what what do you attribute that to, right? Do you do you attribute that to the the changes in the roster? Or do you attribute that to you know a change on the on the coaching staff? I know like the, the entire assistant staff basically turned over. Um, what what do what do you think it is, Jack? Um, I think obviously it's a multitude of reasons. I, I put it down to I think really the, it's the youth at the end of the day on the roster. Um, I think it's been discussed at length a bit, but last season we obviously had particularly before the trade deadline, a lot of veterans on the roster, um, from Blake to DeLon Wright. Um, Mason Plumley was a really solid vet at the five. So um, I think when you get down and you don't have those uh, veteran heads on the court um, just to stabilise the offence and get a decent shot, um, I think, yeah, things can get away quickly and that's why we're seeing these blowouts. Um, I don't think it's from a lack of effort, but I can see the effort sort of diminish as the game gets away. Um, but yeah, I put it down to youth, um, and just a change in roster really. Um, when you think of the vets we have, it's really, you've got Corey, Joseph, Trey Lyles, um, and we've just lost Rodney Magruder, but there's just not the, um, the vets we had a season ago. I think that's what I'd put it down to. No, that's that's totally fair. And the question about effort, right, that came up earlier, or not earlier, they came up earlier this week when uh, the inside the NBA guys were were discussing the Pistons and uh, just attributing their uh, their losing to a lack of effort. And I thought that was a slight mischaracterization. And I, I tend to think along 
the lines of what you said, right? It's just young teams are generally really bad. This is a really young team. And we 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 should be a little dismayed that they're losing like this, but we should not necessarily be surprised yeah. that, that uh, they're and like this. Yeah, I've had to check myself this week. As I said, watching those two back-to-back games, it's easy to get frustrated and mm-hmm. want to call out players. But it, they're a young team. Um, I mean, this is what you, you get from young teams and young players, specifically when the your league ball handlers are uh, first and second year guards. It, um, so, yeah, I think you're gonna you're gonna get turnovers, bad shooting nights, lapses on defense. Um, it's all to be expected in a rebuilding team. Yeah. Well, speaking of speaking of some of the the younger guys on the team, um, you know, we talked a little bit about. Uh, getting guys back in from from COVID protocols, but you know, while they weren't playing, we saw a bunch of guys come up from the G League, from the Motor City Crews, and from elsewhere uh, around the NBA. I believe, uh, like this week was the last we will see of Justin Robinson and Micah Potter, for example. Um, I was just wondering, Jack, if any of those guys, uh, any of the G League guys, really stood out to you uh, in their time in the Sun uh, with the Pistons. Um, yeah, I would say so. I've always had my eyes on Cassius Stanley. Um, mm-hmm. I think he was with the Pacers a season ago. Didn't get much run. Um, I think he showed a bit. I think it might have been the Spurs game. He had 17 points or so. Um, obviously, he, he's a high flyer, something we don't really have on this roster. So I did have eyes on him as someone who could sort of get to the rim, um, which I'm not sure he did a whole lot of, but he has that vertical explosion. Um, and... Look, Derek Walton Jr. I think was a really solid step in starting point guard. Um, he did a nice job, um, and he set Sadiq up with the the nutmeg for the game winner. <laughs> yeah. Um, so look, I wouldn't say any. Yeah, those were probably the two that stood out to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean those those are two good calls. I mean. In, uh, the Pistons probably agree with you, right? Like uh, Stanley was called up on a second 10-day contract, which surprised me a little, but I guess it shouldn't because we still got the Frank Jackson injury. There's still no Kelly and Linick on the roster. They still have the open space. There's no reason not to, I suppose. But but yeah, he's remains intriguing simply because of like the physical dominance, the athleticism. That's something that we don't really have uh, on the roster aside from Hamadou Diallo, who we're going to talk about in a second. Don't Don't worry, guys. Um, but yeah, Walton was, uh, we, we did a, we did a short segment on Walt, Walton last week, uh, Ben and I, and I, we were very impressed with his, uh, steadying presence, but I think that's to be more expected, right? Like, uh, I don't think this is Walton's like officially like his third or fourth year in the NBA. He's never been like any, uh, consistent minutes, uh, consistent, like rotation spot, but when he has played, uh, he's been a bright spot in a lot of different places. And so I should not. I think we shouldn't be surprised necessarily that like Walton was was fairly good for us because he's been fairly good pretty much everywhere else he's been. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been it's good to get the the normal young guys back in the rotation though. There's only uh, so much Davidas Servitas and uh, <laughs> like uh, and Justin Potter my or uh, Justin uh, Robinson my my heart can handle. It. So I'm glad to get the, <laughs> the normal sure. guys back. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah, let's talk about Hamadou Diallo. Um, he's found himself in the starting lineup, 
partially because of the Jeremy Grant injury, partially because of all the COVID stuff he started, we talked about earlier, was really performing, uh, was really producing, I should say, um, and stepping up as a ball handler, like while uh, the Pistons were, had a lot of guys out of the lineup. Uh, as they've reintegrated guys, he's continued to stay in the starting lineup and he's had the ball a little bit less, but he's still been uh, very productive as as a cutter, as a rim runner. Um, playing off of other guys uh what what have you thought about how many diallos play over like these last couple after after this last week after the uh like Caden killian and those guys like return to the starting lineup jack man i i i love hamadou i i love the athleticism he brings um i wrote a preview piece a few months ago on him in the fan post section and i was really excited for him this season um and obviously he had the slow start and he was in the doghouse. And there was that scene, I think, at the Cleveland game where he left the bench. But mm-hmm. since he's got opportunity, um, he really is our only player that can put pressure on the rim. And he does so in such an exciting way. Um, and I've really enjoyed – it was really nice to see with the integration back of Cade and Killian, et cetera, um, him still being a part of the offense as a starter. There was a part of me that was worried with all the players returning that he might get lost in the shuffle. Um, but he actually was third on the team this week for field goal attempts, so he's still getting his shots up. Um, although I'd like to see him take it back on the threes. Um, everything else about his game, as you mentioned, he had, I think he had five assists in the Bucks win. Um, he's one of our best rebounders. Um, as a wing and yeah the pressure he puts on the rim um, it's just something this team sorely lacks so anytime he can get into the paint um, get a few fouls on the opposing bigs it's a bonus for the team and yeah I've been really happy with his contributions of late yeah I was I was worried that when Caden Killian came back he would try to dominate the ball like he did while they were gone and that that would have you know poor results um but i've been really pleased with the like transition he's made to playing more of an off-ball role but still finding ways to contribute in the offense right you, you talked about him being third in field goal attempts on the week uh, for this team and he's doing a lot of that on like spot ups and cuts right he has the ball some but not as much as he did like, you know, two weeks ago. Um, but he's because of the development or not the development because of the activity he's making, like as a cutter, he's getting guys like looking for him now in those spots, which I think is really good. Um, Cade in particular has started to find uh, Hamadou like on some of these like wing uh, slot cuts. Uh, and that's been, that's been really fun to see. Obviously like, you know, they, they, the Pistons at the end of the Orlando game kind of drew up uh, a Hami cut uh, or like uh, they drew up some rim pressure from Hamadou uh, while Cade was handling the ball. Um, it worked one time, didn't work the other time. That's fine. They won the game anyway. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that Hamadou has found a way to contribute without necessarily having the ball in his hands a ton, because I don't think that having Hamadou with the ball in his hands all the time is like going to help you win um at the you know in the in the future but it's it's still he still found a way to be a really effective a player and that uh that pleases me i've been 
really surprised with what he's been bringing this year. I did not think we would get like this level of production out of him. For sure. And it's been nice to see, as I mentioned before, just the playmaking ability. And I know, as you said, we don't want the ball in his hands every time down the floor, clearly. But I think even with OKC last year, he even had a couple of double-digit assist games. So that playmaking, um, yeah, it's really valuable to a team. And then especially he's just such a, as you said, a smart cutter and he's a really smart finisher as well. There was a, a play against the Bucks in the last quarter where Trey Lyles was sort of aimlessly backing down someone in the post <laughs> and just begging, begging for someone to help him. I think Special K said it on the broadcast. And then Hami makes a cut and instead of just going straight up because he had Giannis at the rim, he just did this little, wasn't a, it wasn't even really a pump fake, but he just got Giannis off a little bit so he could turn around and do like a nice little left-hand layup. So it's just little plays like that that I think are so important to a team that lacks inside finishing. No, absolutely. And the the guy that obviously took Hamadou's spot in the rotation uh, in the preseason uh, and hadn't really been playing up to this point was Josh Jackson. But since Josh returned from, pro, from COVID protocols, he, he has also found his way back in the rotation and he had he's had a he had a pretty uneven week. Um, you know, good good game against the Bucks. Uh, made a bunch of threes against the Bucks. That was great to see. Um, bad games against the Hornets and Grizzlies, like everybody else. And then you know, eleven points on ten shots against the Magic. Uh, made a couple a couple nice plays, a couple nice drives. Um, what do you think? What do you what have you seen from Josh and his contributions to the rotation uh, since re-entering the rotation? I feel like this week is just Josh Jackson's career with the Pistons. <laughs> it's, it's you got the twenty-four points against the Bucks, and then struggles out of the gates against the Hornets. But then I think scored double digits in the last quarter, and he had three poster dunks in a row, three games straight. Um, uh, he's just he's so up and down, and you can see why he's in and out of the lineup clearly, um, and. Yeah, he's just, he makes some amazing plays that just make you, you know, you want more of Josh. But then last night against the Magic, he'll just have some boneheaded passes. Like he just tries to do too much at times. And I mean, I think we're going to see him featured in the lineup, especially with um, Rodney Magruder now being traded. I think you're going to see him regularly in the rotation for the remainder of the season, barring any other trades. But, um, oh. He's just so up and down. Like, it's so hard to get a read on. And, yeah, he, he just leaves me confused, to be to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I think, uh, I think that, like, that's definitely the trademark of his career is his inconsistency. Um, it's, it's, it's maddening, too, because, like, during the preseason, if you remember, he was making a lot of really, like, he was making a lot of really good reads. He was playing within himself. Um, and it wasn't accompanied by like all the wildness, but he was still like really effective. And so I was like, wow, okay. Like maybe Josh Jackson has turned a corner and then, uh, you know, the season starts and that continues for like another week or two. And it's, ah, nope, nope. (laughs) Josh is still just as inconsistent as ever. That's the thing, Laz, like leaving last night, he had the, he had a nice backdoor pass to a cutting Trey Lars for a dunk. Yeah. That that was a great pass. Yeah. And you just go. And then, like, like a quarter later, he's in the corner. He's dribbled himself into a bit of a bad position. And instead of just making a nice, easy pass to Corey Joseph in the corner, 
he tries to do a cross-court pass over four Magic players and it just gets picked off and you're just left going, why, Josh, why? <laughs> <laughs> he just, he just, it, he's feeling it, right? Like he, that's, he, he seems to play off of feel. He seems to play off of uh, energy and intensity. I know um, it's like when, when he got the poster dunk against Milwaukee, I was like, okay, we're going to get a good Josh Jackson like night because like that is the type of thing that like really excites him and like gets him going. Um, and it feels like if he, if he doesn't play with that energy, right. Or if he doesn't, um, we like get a chance to like make that type of impact. He tries to like force his way into making that yeah. type of impact, which is how you end up with a cross court pass over four dudes. Yeah. And he can make some really like, he can be a really nice like defender. Like he had some, I rewatched the last quarter of the Bucks game last night and um, he can just make, like he defended Giannis really well at times. There's just, mm-hmm. he, there's so much there, but there's also so much missing at times. And yeah, I think Josh is a really talented player, but yeah, the IQ at times can make some poor decisions. Yeah. Well, speaking of inconsistent guys coming off the bench, uh, you tweeted that you were a Trey Lyle stand now, so now I got to ask you about your Trey Lyle stand. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Uh, you, but you pointed out though he's been effective. Like in the last ten games, he's shooting, he's averaging twelve point six rebounds and a block in like less than thirty minutes a night. Um, I personally am frustrated with his inability to to shoot from three consistently, but like that's you know, but that's not me. That's uh, that's up to him. But yeah, tell tell me why all of a sudden you find yourself a Trey Lyle stand, Jack. So. I think Trey gets a bad rap. You know, I see Pistons Twitter roasting him. Um, yeah, he'll miss a rebound. He'll do. He'll make a stupid turnover at times. Um, look, he's. I think he's six foot eight or six foot nine. He's not the greatest athlete, so he's going to be outmatched on on the rebounds sometimes defensively, especially when he's been playing the five. But I really think without um, the shoe out of the lineup. He's really been everything and more you could expect for someone on a two-year, $5 million deal. Um, you know, as I mentioned in that tweet, in the last 10 games, he's averaging 12, 6, a couple of assists and a block on 48% shooting. He's getting to the line three and a half times in that span, shooting 82%. Um, and then last night against Orlando, he had 16, 13 rebounds and a couple of blocks. And then we all know about that huge game against the Heat he had where he had 28 points and four blocks. I just think he gets a bad rap because, look, potentially, you know, he could be taking minutes from Luka Garza, which, I don't know. Like, I can see that <laughs> argument, but at the same time, I love Luka, but I just, there's a lot to be, like, left. Like, there's a lot he can't do defensively that we all know. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I just think Trey gets a bit of a bad rap. Um, and we all know about the stuff he said uh, about the city of Detroit, but that's in the past. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here to stick up for Trey. Trey's my guy. Yeah, I mean, I think what, what ends up frustrating me is not that, like, when I look at the box score at the end of the night, it's never like, oh, like, Trey Lyles, like, really sucked tonight. But uh, there will always be, like, a possession in the second quarter where he pump fakes on the three, drives into nothing, and uh, like nothing happens because of it, right? Like they, they don't get a good shot. Maybe he turns it over. Like maybe he doesn't. Um, but like nothing happens. Or there will be a time. I remember like the the game against Miami that you brought up, right? Um, 
like coach Kalamian like told him before the game, like, if you don't shoot, like I'm going to, I'm going to bench you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, it feels like he needs to hear that every night because he, he's not always the most uh, aggressive, uh, like shot seeking guy when uh, like, that's a lot of what his role has to be for this team at this yeah. time. Right. Like when he was playing next to Kelly Olenek a lot, like, yeah, I can understand, uh, you know, the desire to like drive and kick and, and be a little bit more like proby. But, uh, you know, when you're playing next to when you're if you even if you're playing next to like a Luca Garza, or you're playing next to like a, uh, a Hamadou Diallo at four. Like it's it's time to it's time to shoot. It's time to, to be aggressive and look for your own. And I feel like he doesn't I feel like the, the times in which he doesn't do that are just really apparent. And so, like, yeah. that's why it just feels like Trey Lyles is just a very frustrating. No, I, I definitely agree. Like the the pump fakes can drive you crazy at times. Yeah. Although it is one of the best in the league. <laughs> Right, <laughs> I would say Trey and Kelly Olynyk have probably two of the best pump fakes I've seen in the league. But um, back to Trey, I, look, I agree with everything you're saying. I was being a bit silly before. I do. There are clear limitations, and he makes some um, decisions which can leave you frustrated. Um, so yeah, I just think for what we thought we were getting and the production he's put out, um, I think he's definitely exceeded the expectations. Obviously, he's not really part of the future, but I just, yeah, I see a lot of slander, trailer slander, yeah. so I felt the need to stick up for my guy. No, I, I think that is a good point and something that I have to continuously remind myself of as well. It's like he was signed to be a stopgap, right? Like, there, he, I don't think he's part of this team's long-term future, but like for what he is, for what for where this team is right now, like he's absolutely doing his job. And so like it... Although the the frustrations come out like during the game, it's uh, like yeah he's he's doing his job. It's you can't get get too mad at him for sure. Um, for sure. You, you mentioned the Orlando game in which he, he came out with a big fourth quarter, um, really helped spark them after it felt like the offense was getting a little stagnant uh, over that period. But he played the entire fourth quarter, um, which meant no Isaiah Stewart in the fourth quarter, and of course uh, Corey Joseph played. Corey Joseph finished the game out. And that meant no Killian Hayes in the fourth quarter against the Magic. Uh, what did you think of the decision to not play either of the the young guys down the stretch of a close game, Jack? It didn't surprise me. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's it's frustrating because this season's about development. So, and you want to see those two players in Killian and Stu playing in close games, getting a chance to feel the pressure of a close game, make decisions. But I can also see why you would keep the same team on the floor to get the victory because, as we've seen, wins are hard to come by for this team. And uh, look, it's it's definitely frustrating, but I can I, I can sympathise with Coach Casey um, in wanting to get a victory um, for the morale to keep keep everyone happy. Um, and yeah, like I, I can see both sides of the coin, but. I think the victory is a little bit more important, um, particularly I think we have a pretty tough stretch coming up. So um, I guess that's my opinion on it. No, that's fair. Uh, we do have, they do have a tough stretch coming up. We're going to get to that. Um, I was, I was also not surprised. I was more surprised about Trey finishing the game than I was about uh, Corey Joseph finishing the game. Um he has often gone to Corey Joseph late in games if it's close. And so like that, 
you know that and Killian did not have a particularly good night. Um, Killian did, Killian had a really up and down week, and so like we we shouldn't be surprised uh, by that. Um, but I was I was more thinking like Stewart was Stewart was part of the reason why Orlando was having trouble scoring inside uh, as much as they were, and the the like the way they got back in the game was from the perimeter, and so I thought the decision to put or I thought the I thought that putting Stewart in might relieve some of the pressure the the guards feel to like trap and scramble um and and seed some of those open looks um, because they're worried about giving up uh, uh paint penetration and so um I was I was curious about that actually I should ask you about Killian um there's been there's been a lot of talk about Killian this week um on on Twitter and elsewhere uh you know I think it's like he he was having a decent game against Milwaukee, um, but like you know, a couple of nice passes, a couple of nice assists, um, had some really had a had a very nice game against Charlotte. They got kind of swallowed by the fact that he didn't play in the fourth quarter, and the team got blown out. Um, but just played really terribly against uh, Memphis, and uh, did not make an overt impact against the Orlando Magic in the second half. Uh, where where are you with Killian right now, Jack? So with Killian, uh, uh, like my expectations have obviously adjusted from when we drafted him. Um, uh, I think I said a few months ago in another piece I wrote that I really feel like the Lonzo Ball mold is sort of what we should be looking for with Killian, in my opinion. Um, obviously with that, though, um, he needs to get the three-point shooting back up to where it was. I think he was at 38% in November. And it might have been mm-hmm. higher from the corners. So, um, but that's that's regressed in these past ten games. He's shooting twenty five percent, I believe. So, um, but uh, look, I've still got a lot of stock in Killian. I think you see the flashes as, as a connector, and I'd like to see him get more transition opportunities. Um, whether that's him going for the, more of the defensive rebounds and getting out on the break. Um, yeah, I just I think with Killian, it, it's just it can be really easy for him to just drift off into the corner. And and I'm not saying that's all on him, but it's very easy for him to just disappear. And one thing I, I noticed is, I, I think in the it might have been the Bucks game again, he had a really nice cut. And I think Cade hit him with a bounce pass or something under the rim and he finished. And so I looked into the numbers and although it's on low volume, he's, wanted, he's scored on six of nine cuts this season. So um, I'd like to see him just cut do a bit more off ball if he's if he's not getting the ball handling opportunities but i've still got a lot of stock in killian as it's been mentioned he still hasn't played a full season of games but i'm hoping after the all-star break um we see um coach casey and the coaching staff really try and get the ball in killian's hands a bit more and um just see what we've got essentially no yeah i it's interesting you bring up the cutting because I, I too have like noticed that he, um, that like they're trying to work in more stuff where like uh, he's part of the off ball movement as guys, uh, as guys isolate or as guys post up. Um, I can think of as like there was one time in particular, I believe it was against Memphis, where uh, he cut to the rim and like Trey Lyles just like missed him for like two whole seconds and then he just like kind of threw up his hands and like uh, yeah. jogged off to the corner. But I, I do think you're right in that it is really easy for uh, him to get lost in the offense. Uh, 
but I think at this point it's like we we have to like he has to demand more of himself and he has to exert exactly. uh, his will his will on the offense in a way that I feel like uh, he just he doesn't occasionally and, and I, 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 oh, yeah sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say 100 percent agree because I see a lot on from Pistons fans about Casey not involve, involving him in the offense enough and I, I understand that but at the same time I think we need to see more from Killian more aggressiveness a willingness to get the ball drive to the rim and finish rather than always looking to pass um, just things like that if we could see more aggressiveness out of Killian um, that, that's what I'm looking for as the season as yeah the rest of the season I and it's interesting to me because like you can tell when he thinks he can do something and when he, when he thinks he can't do something, right? Like you, I, there was a, there was a play in the Charlotte game where he had like a nice, like right to left crossover and then finished over Mason Plumley, And you yeah. could tell like he knew that he could finish over Mason Plumley because he's yeah. probably finished over Mason Plumley like before in practice and stuff. He knew like he knew he could accomplish that. Um, and then you look at, I don't know, like the, the, like a, a pickup, uh, like a pickup, he makes off of a pull-up shot or something where his like if his footwork's not great and his like uh his his wrist or his, like his base is not amazing and and like it uh, the shot obviously doesn't go in and it's like left or right instead of long or short and you see like uh the thought process like running through his head it's like okay I can't do that anymore and it's like well okay what am I allowed to do is like what should I do to like help the team win and it's just hard to it's hard to get him to just like make like be willing to make more mistakes because that's the only way you're going to figure out like your limits. And he very much seems like a guy who just like, who wants to do things perfectly, who wants to like make the right pass who wants to make the right play, but it needs to be, it needs to be incumbent upon him to understand that like sometimes the right play is like you missing uh, a like pull up three because like we need to figure out if you can do that or not. So it's, it's, it's just interesting. I'm in an interesting place with Killian right now. Obviously, I was a huge fan of him pre-draft. And obviously, I can also see that like he has not been very effective offensively. But the he's still only he's still so young. And the flashes of what he's able to do as a, as a connecting piece yeah. um, is, is just like so appealing next to Kate Cunningham. And so exactly. it's like, it would, yeah, it's, it's not... It's not time to give up on Killian yet. Is, For sure. Is and and we have to remember as well, he finished last season with the ball in his hands. Uh, I feel like he was our, he was our primary initiator to mm. finish out the season. And then this season you come in with Cade, who's assumed uh, lead ball handling duties. So he's, you know, it's there's an adjustment period there as well, playing with a player like Cade who likes to have the ball in his hands um, a lot. So, look, it's definitely not all on Killian. But, yeah, if we could just see some more aggressiveness, I think that'd go a long way. No, I, I agree 100%. Uh, what was the next thing I wanted to talk to you? Oh, yeah. Uh, Jeremy Grant trades. So there's been a lot of smoke about Jeremy Grant, uh, potential Jeremy Grant trades um, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, this week, we got a big plume of spoke, smoke, which is the Athletics' James Edwards III predicted we would see a Jeremy Grant trade, which was like a big step for me. James is one of the more plugged-in guys with the team. And so for him to predict there's going to be a trade uh, makes me think that a trade's going to happen. Uh, 
you, uh, they put this in a report in the athletic, uh, said not only are teams like asking about Jeremy, but that Jeremy is open to being traded. Um, this is just like, I was, I've been talking about smoke, but like, that's fire, right? Like there's legitimate fire behind, uh, these Jeremy Grant trade rumors. And so Jack, I wanted to ask you, you know, what, what kind of return are you thinking about for a Jeremy Grant? And, uh, like, what are your thoughts about like what a Jeremy Grant trade should accomplish for the Pistons? I feel so I'm not a big trades guy, but I feel a Jeremy Grant trade, it's clear. We've seen Sadiq step up, um, with the absence of Jeremy playing at the four. Um, so I think it's, it's clear, um, that, you know, a Jeremy trade, a Jeremy Grant trade is on the cards. And for me, I think I'd be mainly looking for a young wing. Um, I've seen Pat Williams mentioned a lot uh, from the Bulls. Um, but I think, yeah, a young player, maybe a second round pick. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see a young wing come in. And the Pat, Pat Williams one's really caught my eye, to be honest. No, I, I agree. Pat Williams um, is a really interesting player. It's a good it's a good fit for both sides because the, the Bulls are in a position to compete for a championship like this year and like maybe next year, but um, but not for much longer beyond that. And Patrick Williams literally cannot help the Bulls this year because of the injury. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense from uh, like short term, long term, uh, like what are you looking to get perspective? Um, obviously, there are some other like Jeremy trade destinations, but like, yeah, I think. I think like a, a good young player um, position almost like doesn't matter uh, is, is definitely like what the Pistons should be looking for in a Jeremy Grant trade. Um, I'm not super enamored with this draft right now. And so I'm less concerned about getting like a, a first round pick or something like that, or a, a, few, a first round pick in like this year's draft. And I'm sure the 2023 draft is shaping up to be really nice. And so like, sure you take a, a future pick, but um, yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see like what Jeremy Grant's value ends up being. You remember the, the Aaron Gordon trade last year, similar situation, right? A team thinks they can win a championship that year and they go for it and it costs them, um, you know, a young player in RJ Hampton, a future first round pick and some salary, right? Like, so I, I think that's definitely the framework around like what a Jeremy Grant trade is going to end up being. It's just a matter of, um, like what what type of young player the Pistons end up getting? But it, yeah, I, uh, you know, I started the season not thinking Jeremy Grant would be traded, and like here we are in uh, January, and it's like nope, he's probably sure. definitely getting traded. Yeah, the, another trade that comes to mind is the Atlanta package centered around Cam Reddish, who I think I'd still prefer uh, Pat Williams, but Cam's pretty smooth player. Um, obviously, I think he's been compared to. PG-13, which I'm not sure that's still on the cards, but he's got a smooth jumper. He sort of fits. Well, as you said, we, we sort of need everything here at Detroit. So um, he'll definitely fill a need um, as well. Although, would he be coming up to, is this a contract year or would it be next year for camp? I think he, I think next year would be like the extension eligible year yeah. for him. And, uh, and part of the reason he's on the table as a trade asset is, is because Atlanta has already paid Kevin Herter, has already paid John Collins. Uh, I think that I think Trey Young has signed his. Actually, no, no, yeah, Trey Young has signed Trae his extension. Max, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and like Clint Capella is making good money. 
and and so they they have a lot of money allocated already, right? And so that that's part of the reason why Cam's available. Um, but yeah, I'm I I am more interested in Patrick Williams than Cam Reddish for sure. I was not a big fan of Cam Reddish like uh, coming out of Duke, but he has uh, he has played well in spots, but I struggle to think like he's the best type of player to put next to Cade and Sadiq, right? Like, yeah. I feel like he needs, I feel like he needs the ball in his hands um, a little bit more than I'd be willing to give it to him, and he's not as consistent defensively as I would like him to be. And so, like that's why I feel like Patrick Williams would be a better fit as a guy who doesn't need the ball that much and is a is a impact defensive player already. Yeah, no, I really like Pat Williams coming out of the draft, and um, if the Pistons had got a top five pick, I was. Yeah, really high yeah. on Pat Williams. Yeah, you you were not alone, if I remember correctly. Troy Weaver was also rumored to be a really big Patrick Williams fan. Yeah, yeah. All right, Jack. This, this has been fun, man. Thanks for thanks for coming on the pod. I really appreciate it. Um, obviously, the Pistons uh, went two and two this past week. They have a home game against the Jazz, who I think have uh, a bunch of guys who have COVID uh, coming up on Monday. They play a back to back. Uh, in Chicago on Tuesday, that might be the makeup game for the Chicago game they got missed earlier this. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. It is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's back to back. Then they play the Raptors at home on Friday, and they play Phoenix at home on Sunday. So Jack, are we going to get another two and two week? Is it going to be another good week for our the Detroit Pistons? Oh man, I'm glad we got that box win. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think. Is Utah a home game? Utah that? is a home game, yeah. Okay, so I think they've still got Donovan and Bogdanovich playing. Um, they're just such a wild machine offensively um, this season. Uh, like, uh, I mean, I, I think, to be honest, Laz, we could be looking at another an 0-4 week. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit lost for words. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is uh is definitely going to be a tough week, and I think this is part of the reason why it was so important to get that Orlando win, right? Is to uh, come into what looks like an upcoming like very tough stretch of games with uh, a little bit of positive vibes coming off oh, a win. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, all right, Jack. Uh, thank you so much for filling in for Ben. I really appreciate it. We'll definitely have to have you on, um, especially since this time works for you. That that's really good for for yeah, all parties. For sure. Uh, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find uh, your basketball analysis. Thanks, Laz. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on again. As I said, been an avid listener of this podcast, so this is it's very surreal to be on here. But um, yeah, you can find me over on Twitter at Jack underscore Kelly underscore three one three. Still, I've been on Twitter for a while, but relatively new to Pistons Twitter. So hit me up for a follow. Always happy to chat hoops. Um, and obviously you can find my work over at Detroit Bad Boys of SB Nation. Yeah, thank you again uh, for coming on, Jack. Uh, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. And I am not writing as much as I used to, but you can always find the podcast over at Detroit Bad Boys. Um, and uh, we, I try to be active in the comments and uh, send my piece there. So I'm always happy to, to chat with people on Twitter and in the comments. Um, thank you all for listening. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will talk to you all next week. See you.